Welcome to Upthinking Finance, a podcast that offers a unique and discerning view of economics and financial planning. Here is your host, Emerson Fersh. Welcome back to another edition of Upthinking Finance. I'm Emerson Fersh. Before we get to today's guest, I want to welcome all of you who are new to the podcast, particularly those of you who found me through the interview I did with John Waters that he posted on his Substack site. And just by way of introduction and kind of a quick background on the podcast, I have worked in the financial services industry here in the United States since 1986. My business partner and I run a financial planning firm called Capital Investment Advisors, which has an office in both in Long Beach, uh, California, as well as here in Southern Utah. And the reason for the podcast really was just a way to stay in touch with our client base, which is currently located all over the United States, but also to bring unique ideas and voices and concepts that you just don't find in the normal channels in finance. Now, for those of you who did listen to the John Waters interview, you realize that sometimes we skate across the economic ideas to get to more, at least in my mind, broader and deeper conversations. Although I know somebody once said, if you want to find truth, follow the money. So somewhere in there, there's a common thread with the financial angle. But again, I want to thank you for being here. And also just point of clarity, this isn't a profit center for our firm. It's really a creative outlet. And so to that end, we interview whoever we want and we have conversations about whatever we want. So on to today's interview. Carolyn Myers once said, grace is a power that comes in and transforms a moment into something better. Now, I imagine everybody at one time or another has had a dream about what they wanted to do in life. Maybe it started as a child. Maybe it came in later. I know for me, like a lot of boys that grew up in the U.S. during my generation, I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, pitching in the bottom of the ninth for the St. Louis Cardinals, winning the Game 7 of the World Series. Sadly for me, I could barely field and I couldn't hit, and so I never made the baseball team in high school. But it was a dream. And it kind of reminds me of this movie some of you may have seen called The Rookie with Dennis Quaid. And there's a moment where he wants to go back and see if he can still pitch at age 40, right? He never got to realize his dreams. And his dad says something to him, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but along the lines of, you know, son, it's okay to do what you want until it's time to do what you're meant to do. And I remember thinking, you know, how do you know if what you want to do isn't what you're meant to do, right? And so I think in life, Maybe you're meant to do a lot of different things at different times. And so that's kind of a good segue in today's guest. And I will say again, getting back to the podcast, I've been really fortunate to meet some amazing people all over the world. And every once in a while, I get to interview somebody that has a personal significance in my life. Today's guest is one of those people. Her name is Amy Lenoble. Now, when Amy was younger, her dream was to become a professional dancer, the kind you would see on Broadway or television. She went to Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles to pursue this vision where she earned a bachelor's degree in dance, graduating magna cum laude, while also minoring in business administration. After many failed attempts, along with some amazing experiences, she stopped performing, although she still enjoys teaching dance to children and adults when time permits. Growing up in a family of accountants, Amy has always had a personal passion for finance. She started in the financial services industry in 2014, and in nine years, she went from being a receptionist to an administrative assistant to becoming a licensed registered representative with LPL Financial, which is, for anybody who doesn't know, the largest independent broker-dealer in the United States, and now serves as a part owner, my partner, and a portfolio manager with Capital Investment Advisors, LLC. So it's my pleasure to welcome my business partner and friend coming to us from her office in Long Beach, California, Amy Lenoble. Amy, welcome to Upthinking Finance. Thank you. I love being here. (laughs) Thank you. Well, hopefully you'll feel that way at the end. (laughs) So I guess the first place to start is your dream to be a dancer and maybe share with everyone when that began and just 
kind of the experiences you had as you pursued that. Yeah, thank you. I love that we're talking about this, by the way, on a financial podcast, which will be revealed why as I speak, but it definitely pertains. They definitely connect. You wouldn't think they connect, but they connect. I dance. Yeah, that's like my number one love. I wanted to be a dancer since I was little, little. I mean, as long as I can remember. My mother was a dancer and her mother was a dancer. And dance has always been a good friend to me. My mom and I, we would always dance together. You know, she's passed away now, but that's my memory of dance is that it was a joyous thing that connected people. And I pursued dance pretty much my whole life. I went to classes. I was a part of teams. I did it in middle school, high school. I majored in college. I pursued dance career after college. I really wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be on Broadway or like Beyonce's backup dancer, neither of which ever happened. That's what I wanted to do. It did not come easy. I will say that. I definitely have been the worst in the room numerous times. I definitely got a lot of rejection at various auditions. I was the weakest link in multiple classes and maybe even in a performance. Those things are all true. I had to work at dance. I had to work at dance. But there were so many rewarding opportunities. I just said a lot of negatives, but there were times that I was the best in the room. And there were times that I got the award over other people and that I made the show or the audition. There were definitely those times too. But the dance journey, I think, if I'm being honest, was more of a series of disappointments than it was of accomplishments. So, okay. But if you had to pick out like one glory moment, in that part of your life? Is there one that just stands out? Mm -hmm. If I had to pick out a glory moment in dance, yeah, there's two that come to mind. I'm thinking of which one I want to share. I'll share them both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was a time, actually right after my mom died, which would have been in high school, she passed away. My dad was very supportive. He was at all of my performances. By the way, my family has always been extremely supportive of dance. They have never told me ever that you should be in a more serious career. This is a very difficult job. You're wasting your time and your life and your intelligent brain on this career. Never was that said to me. I know it's said to many people, but it was not said to me. So that's a side note. But my dad was very supportive. He was at all my performances and he was at my performance in high school. It was like a part of a camp and you had to perform this routine over and over. And it was between all the schools. So it's not just your school, but all the schools. I mean, there were probably hundreds, 500, 300 dancers. And anyway, I kept performing it because I kept making it to the next round and I ended up being top 20. They don't put an order after that. They just give you like top 20. So I think they were just being nice for a high school or they just were tired of everyone performing it. But I did get top 20 and I got my little top 20 award. And then high school senior year, because my mom passed away my junior year. At my senior year, my school, just my school, my high school, we were a class of maybe like 200. People get to vote for like different things about people in the class just for fun, like most likely to succeed. Right. And anyway, 
I didn't know this, but they created a category for best dancer and I won. And I was not by any means like popular in high school. So it felt nice to be noticed. Like, oh, they created a best dancer for me. That felt good. That was a nice little positive experience in my like negative high school experiences of like learning about death and like dying and all these things. I'll share that as the glory uh, moment. No, that's, I mean, you know, I was sharing in the beginning of the intro, I wanted to be a baseball player, but I never had a glory moment. So it was like more like a pipe dream. So, okay. Sad minus just in high school. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thank you. So I guess then maybe you graduated, obviously you had success in college. Was there a point then, I guess maybe that's the place where you just realized that dance path, because I mean, I know you went to New York and you had a lot of travel related to it, but was there ever a point where in the back of your mind, you realized that at some point this wasn't going to be the career or the direction that you envisioned? Is that my explaining that right? Yeah, you're saying it perfectly. If I'm being completely vulnerable and honest, no, I genuinely believed that I was going to make it in dance, which I think is the reason for the greatest disappointment that it was. I really thought I was going to make it. You alluded to it. I did go. I was in LA for college, pursued dance there, chose to go to New York to pursue dance there. And just summating, I did make things. I just never made it to where I wanted to. But there were lots of experiences, majority rejections, but lots of great experiences in various companies, shows, even a short film that I was a part of. But went to New York, didn't feel like I was making it. I am a Christian. And so somebody had recommended this Christian dance team. I did send in a video submission and I made that. So I went to Kansas City and I've had various dance things in Scotland and China. I've had wonderful experiences, but there was very honestly never a time that I considered doing anything else or that I considered that I wouldn't make it. I really believed that I would make it. And if I'm being super honest (laughs) with you, my business partner (laughs) in a non-dance industry, I still think I will. I still think dance possibly has a role in my life, whether it's teaching or choreographing. I never fully released the idea, but it was a deep disappointment to realize in the industry, age matters. There's a lot of careers, actually, or callings where age matters. But athletes like baseball and dance, age matters. And, you know, I'm 37 now. It's probably (laughs) not, I'm probably not going to be Beyonce's backup dancer. (laughs) So there's an acceptance of age and physical limitations. But I never fully got over dance as a career, if I'm being totally transparent. No, well, and maybe you're not supposed to. I mean, I think that's part of the thing in life is you can put limits on anything and just everybody has a path and you just go with it. So, okay, so maybe then let's go to the transition. You mentioned you went to Kansas City and if I remember right, that's where your financial services career started. Maybe share kind of that part of the shift here. Yeah, I did go to Kansas City. I performed with this Christian dance team and we were doing some outreaches and various performances. And then the tour was over. I 
I was tired of not making money. (laughs) I was tired of struggling to survive, which I feel is a valid feeling. And I have a degree. I also have a business degree. So it's not just a dance degree. And I was in National Honor Society. I was an academic fraternity. I definitely had been using a lot of right brain activity. And I was curious, (laughs) not even curious, frankly, hungry for left brain activity. I was hungry for it. I was desiring it. I took a job as a receptionist at a financial firm, not ever planning to be anything in finance, just a receptionist, a job where I could get paid and still possibly audition for dance since dance was always the main goal. But I did discover in that job that I enjoyed finance. And my boss at the time actually kept trying to his credit, get me into finance. Like, hey, do you, would you like to be more? Would you like to do more? And the answer was always, oh no, because dance. I can't cheat on dance. I'm a monogamous, you know, but perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I can't cheat on my partner, (laughs) but I did enjoy finance. I'll say that. And I learned much later because that's what eight, nine years ago that I would be allowed to enjoy finance, really be allowed to enjoy something else. I'm allowed to enjoy other things. And my involvement in those other things doesn't define my success or lack of success in dance. It's okay to have multiple purposes and enjoy different aspects. I felt guilty for enjoying finance. Yeah, in some way, it felt like if you enjoy it, you're a quitter or like you're you're walking away from something you've literally... I mean, I've literally put everything into dance, everything, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. I've put everything in that direction. I sacrificed many things to accomplish that. Relationships, places I lived, money, time, energy. There were things you don't get to do in case you get injured. There were lots of aspects of life not lived for that dream. So a couple of thoughts come to mind. One is perspective, because when I'm listening to you talk about the adventure of New York and the travel. And there's some that prob- that would have the same dream that you have that never got that far. I remember, this is sort of related, just a quick story I think I've shared with you, but I remember when I started this company in 95, and you know, a year later, I had kind of a defining moment where I had to decide whether I was going to stay and do it or not. I was down to my last five grand, and I was sitting in a meeting in Sunset Beach, California, lamenting that I was running this business and I was running out of money and I had $5,000 left. And then a guy opens his mouth and says, I wish I still had $5,000 left. (laughs) And I remember at the moment, it's like, well, okay, there's a perspective shift. So I guess it's just all how you look at things, I suppose. But let me ask you this then on this part of your life, given everything you shared, all the sacrifice, disappointment, moving around, if you had to do it over again, knowing that the result would be the same, would you still do it? That's a real question. That's really good. And I'm glad you shared that because that is perspective. I mean, I remember being in New York I was auditioning so much that I took a temp job so that I could just work a week and audition for two weeks and work another week and just get by. But I remember standing like on the subway asking if someone could swipe me in. At the time, it was like a buck 85 to just, I think, to go one way. And I didn't have it. (laughs) It's like I had like $10 to my name and I just can't afford the swipe. So that's real. That's good perspective. Thank you for bringing it up. I would definitely do it again. I would do it again. I think I'm very good at discussing the negative. That's how my mind works. I'm very restorative and I talk about the problems, but it's 
valid to discuss that dance, if I did not have dance, I would not know my capacities. Dance is the sole reason I really believe out of everything I could choose, death and dying, other heartbreaks, anything else you could think of. Dance is number one, the sole reason why I know my capabilities. Dance showed me that I'm capable of practicing until it's perfect, pushing past my limits. Dance showed me resilience. Dance showed me my discipline, my obedience. Dance showed me my persistence and my hard work and how I do things with excellence. So dance is the reason for a lot of my confidence, even though dance was very disappointing. But it's not that dance was disappointing. It's that I didn't make it where I wanted to. But I had very successful teaching opportunities. Again, I felt like I just couldn't enjoy being a good teacher because I didn't want to be a teacher. I wanted to be a performer. But the truth is, dance has given me many successes and dance has shown me who I am. And when people ask, I used to get really embarrassed. I don't want to talk about being a failure. But what I've discovered is that usually when I talk to people about pursuing this kind of dream and how much I pursued it, 10 out of 10, not 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 times people will say, gosh, I wish I pursued the things I wanted to do. I wish I had given effort to some of these things or whatever. I never, you hear things like that. I never, and I wish that always comes up always 10 out of 10. I don't say that because I did it. So that is one like really positive thing that came from dance. That's actually huge because most people I think in life have never really gone all in with anything. It's kind of like that moment I shared at our meeting in New Jersey with the clients about the defining moment and the message from God, just try. And then I knew if I tried, if I failed, at least I know I didn't quit. There is a strength that comes from that. So, all right, well then let's kind of get into this transition period, this evolving of finance. I know you came to this firm five years ago, almost in about a a week, actually. Maybe just explain kind of that whole process, because the question I would ask you to get to, Amy, would be, and maybe it hasn't happened yet, <laughs> but because you said, even now you've been said, I still really have see some future of dance in my life. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, we're not supposed to be siloed in any one thing. As you said, we don't identify with one part. Our whole life is a mosaic of a bunch of things. But was there a point through this that you've gotten to where you've gone from, and this is my words, maybe dipping your foot in, maybe bringing both feet, but standing on the first step in the pool to diving in? That would be kind of from where you were there and kind of this process, where are you are now with it? How's that? I learned a really good word. I had never heard it before. It was credo. And someone had said, oh, your vocational credo. Like if you had to think of what your vocational credo is, what would you say? And I was like, I've never heard this before. But it's basically a set of beliefs that drive your purpose, not a specific career, but a set of beliefs, a set of things that are within you, that if you were doing those things, you would be satisfied or fulfilled or have enjoyment. And for me, when I thought about it, I ruminated on that. I reflected on that. And my vocational credo turned out to be that I enjoy, something I find enjoyment in that gives me purpose is bringing relief to people. I like to bring relief, whether that relief comes from truth-telling, just saying what it is, wisdom, strategies, creative strategies, 
However it comes, I like to bring relief to others through discipline. I know these sound boring, but to me, like the word discipline is so motivating and energizing to me. <laughs> like I'm a nerd with discipline, but to bring relief to people through discipline and hard work and creative strategies, I enjoy that. In one season of my life, that was through dance. We'd put on performances about domestic abuse, put on performances about negative thoughts. I remember I portrayed a negative thought through dance that was just irritating a person. These types of things, creative strategies, putting together dances that people can relate to and feel seen and heard and understood and come up to you afterwards and be like, I have gone through that. And the domestic abuse dance, I had played like an abused wife and I was dancing with a partner who's male and it was like a spousal or maybe even boyfriend, girlfriend relationship situation of abuse. People would come up to us crying and you could just see like the relief that they felt like understood. And I realized as long as I'm fulfilling that part, that credo, it really doesn't need to be in dance. So just kind of segueing into finance, which was your real question. Sorry, (laughs) I got off topic, but I've seen that in finance, I can bring relief to people by talking about very difficult and personal things through my research, my discipline and seeing and understanding the world and looking at their portfolio and looking at their goals and this kind of planning of putting all the things together. I can bring relief to people through creative strategies with their portfolio. I do. And I enjoy seeing it. I enjoy discussing finance and putting all these things together and coming up and strategizing. I mean, you know, we do it together and we get very energized putting together strategies. It's fun. But it's not fun for a lot of people, but it's fun for me. And so I see that my credo is satisfied through finance. That helped me no longer feel like I was cheating on my dance partner because the credo is the same. The credo has different seasons and there's many different callings that can fulfill that. And I think I was finally able to embrace finance when I saw that I was satisfying things within me that matter, things that give me purpose. And purpose is my number one driving factor, I would say. I have to feel that there's a purpose to the things I'm doing. I'm not very good at just going with the flow and kind of having that type B spontaneous personality, which is a wonderful, but I am not that. I I am type A. I like to know that things I'm doing are providing value and that I have a purpose and I like to have my routine and I like to have my plan. And I like to see my plan come to fruition. And I like to be a part of the reason that it comes to fruition. I want to be actively involved and I want significance, just like I did in dance. I wanted significance. I want it in finance too. It's just my personality. Yeah, that's something we have in common. I'm just, in simple words, if you're going to put the effort into something, you might as well go all in 100%, just do it. Otherwise, why spend the time? Half measures of value, nothing. It's been said. I want to get back to the purpose part in a minute because that sort of leads into some other stuff. But maybe talk about, I mean, let's be honest, your trajectory for a person that didn't want to be in finance, you know, to go from answering phones, not that there's anything wrong with that, and really kind of like you said, yeah, I'm good, to over a fairly short period of time, particularly in the last few years, 
to being a part owner in a business, to managing money, portfolios on independently, to managing staff. I mean, that's a pretty big transition. That would be a big transition for anybody. But then to also couple that with a career shift, there's a number of dynamics that go into that. Maybe describe how that part's been, because I think it's pretty interesting and it's really pretty unique from what I've seen in, in this industry. Yeah. The first thing that comes to my mind is like, true to form, I'm all in. Like, that's my personality. It's like, oh, I want to dance. I'm going to be a dancer. I'm going to major in dance and only think about dance. And I'm going to network and dance and go on auditions. You know, it's the same thing in finance. It's like, oh, I've accepted that my credo and purpose is fulfilled in finance. I'm going all in in finance. I went from, we don't have to talk about the previous office, just our office, five years together, first two years being an administrative assistant, then that third year kind of segueing into office manager, and then the fourth year financial advisor and the fifth year partner. You know, it's like, that is just my way. (laughs) And it's God's grace. Mostly. But yeah, I think once I, I mean, how hilarious, I just talked about type A. Once I'm in it, discipline, hard work, I'm in it to win it. (laughs) And so the transition has been a lot. It's been very rewarding and it's been very humbling. (laughs) Something that I take very seriously. Although to be honest, I think I take most things seriously. (laughs) I'm just a serious person, but I will say it's been easier than I thought in a lot of ways and harder than I thought in some ways. Easier in terms of I have a partner, I have a mentor, you, I have someone there to hold me accountable and help me see things I don't see. That's great. That's easier than if I was starting a business on my own like you did, which I'm very impressed by anyone who does that. I don't have that experience. But it's harder in some other ways. And in this way, it has nothing to do with dance because I've accepted that both dance and finance have been very useful to me and fulfilling the things that I want to do with my life and the things I think I'm good at. But you learn a lot about yourself when you're a boss. I don't have to tell you. You have been a boss and an owner much longer than me. But I've often heard people say that our parents, and I am not a parent, But that, oh gosh, having children is so refining because you see just a reflection of yourself. I mean, they say back to you what you are saying and doing. And I always thought, oh, that's a horrifying thought (laughs) for me. I've found that being a boss is the same. Managing people, working with clients, servicing clients, just owning a business and the operational side of things, working with wholesalers, all these things I see a lot reflected back to me about me. And that's very humbling. That's very humbling. Nine years in the industry. I don't know. We're going to start with this part. Nine years in the industry, really what, four or five months as an owner. One thing I do want to get back to is the purpose, because you talked about some things which I've seen on my side of this that the firm clearly needed. I'm like you, and I've shared it in that I wanted to make a difference. I've had some things in life, other areas where I've had chances to perform and to stand out and innovate and things. But the work, it's a pretty stodgy business in general. And there really isn't a lot of creative thought that I've observed. And I struggled for a long time, just what is the altruistic value of what I'm doing? And then I thought, well, should I write a book? 
you know, I have all this experience. And truthfully, Amy, it's when you came on and really defined the purpose, which was above kind of where I was putting limits, just having integrity. I mean, these are important, having integrity, being honest with people, and obviously trying to do what's right for people. And that alone in this industry, in my opinion, is probably puts you in about the top 3% because obviously in 30 plus years I've been doing this, you see a lot of stuff that you shouldn't see in any business in terms of just the way people look at things and take advantage of situations and all of that. But there's a higher level and a higher purpose, and that's what you've brought to the table, this bringing... I mean, I don't know another way to say godlike purposes to it. Maybe let's speak to that because it's been a clear change. Our website reflects it. I look at our website and I think anybody who goes on to that and reads it, our philosophy, some of our strategies, the approaches we've got, to me, we stand out far and above, but I also, in terms of just our flexibility and our approach to things, but also I feel like people will get a really good sense of the kind of people we are without even having to have a phone conversation. So maybe coming in as a person, and I think this is one thing I appreciate, you come in with a clean slate. You're not jaded by traditions of your past. You're not jaded by industry standards in terms of the way to view investing money or different strategies. So where do you see there a need for adaptability? Maybe just your observations in the industry. How about that? And how that's manifest in some of the things you've brought into to Capital Investment Advisors? I guess it goes back to the credo, like you were saying, it's so nice when you work in a place that gives you the freedom to utilize your credo and be yourself and be celebrated to be yourself. You definitely provided that environment for me, not just when I made partner, but over the last five years. And I think when you brought me on as a partner, there's always a period of like, oh, I wonder what my limitations are and what I'm allowed to do. And you want to be sensitive because this is someone's business. And like I said, I take that very seriously to be invited into someone's already established business as I desire significance. And I don't even think a person would need to desire that. It's just common sense that you want to be someone who comes in and makes things better. Not that they need it to be, but just makes things flow. You want to be adding to something and not taking away. I think anyone would feel that way. But what I was really impressed by with you was like the freedom that you allowed me to have. I saw that you really trust me as a person and you allowed me to, I'm trying to use your words, you said, bring myself into the business. And some of those things we have implemented, I feel have been very fruitful. This idea of no class, I don't know how to say it tactfully, just no A client, B client, C client. Every client has value because their value is not in money. We value the relationship above the money. And I appreciate that you and I are the same in that. We want the relationship first. And I think we do portray that in our interactions with clients and on our website, as you've said. And the money comes later. What we do for a living, we service the client. The money's a part of it. I always say this, like money is a means to an end. It's not the end. And if someone was looking for money to be the end, if their goal was just to make money, we, me and that person, wouldn't be a good fit. That's not my credo. There's nothing wrong with that. People do that and are successful in that. But it's just not for me. I just wouldn't be your top choice. I wouldn't be able to do it for you. I wouldn't find purpose in it. But if someone wanted money as a means to an end, 
money is a part of attaining these said goals. I'm the one for you. (laughs) That you just gave me a ton of energy. (laughs) Like I said, creative strategies. I have to hit a goal. That's what I enjoy to do. I know you feel the same. I know that we've discussed this. And so it was really nice to be able to just be myself and bring in that I'm relationship focused when the rest will be added and that we're servicing the relationship brings a multitude of successes that aren't talked about, I feel, in the industry and in my minimal experience comparatively to you. But really, if you have a good relationship with the client, you're free from a lot of other negative situations that could happen to you. And the reason is the person trusts you and understands you and knows you're approachable, knows that you have no pride, knows that you're coming at it thinking of them first. They can't know that ever without a relationship. They'll just never know it about you. People can be that way in the financial industry, but you don't know because you haven't gotten to know them. And so they're working with your money and a lot of negative things can happen. 2008, 2001, 2020, the first part of it. And if people don't know you, there's a lot of negative that can come at you. I want that relationship. I value that relationship. I like to know about your life. I want to know about your kids. I want to know about your goals. I want to know about your fears. And it's interesting And again, I have less experience than you. I'm sure you've experienced this more in client meetings, but people always apologize. You know, they're always apologizing for their feelings. Don't. To me, your feelings are paramount to me attaining the goal you want. I have to know what your feelings are. And I don't mean that we're driven by feelings, most certainly not. But what I mean is, did I really bring you value if I put you in something that's making money, but causing you daily stress. Did I bring you value? Because again, money isn't the end all. It depends on the person. I want to bring value to the whole person, bring value financially, bring value through peace and wisdom and bring value through approachability. They can contact me three times in a day if they want to and not apologize once. That's what I desire. And I feel you've allowed that and that it's been fruitful. We've made some great connections. Like I said, the relationship first, the rest will be added. I feel a lot was added when we became more relationship focused. We're getting referrals. And that wasn't the goal. We're suddenly getting referrals. We're meeting people. People are calling us saying they have this extra in the bank. Why are they doing that? Well, it's because of relationship. It's not because, no offense to us, we're the best in the business. It's because they trust that we're putting their needs first. You just said a lot there. No, no, no. (laughs) I mean, because... And this sort of gets into, as we kind of wind up our conversation, for me, so I'm just going to speak for me, and I shared this, we shared this with clients, our little visit out in the East Coast a few weeks ago, that I've always wanted to keep a firm small, and I always wanted there to be a personalized element to it. However, as a person who was a product of the system, going back to working at a bank as a financial advisor, where I had to call in numbers every week, I mean, you talk about an oxymoron, right? Establish personal relationships, but make sure you hit your target every Friday. Otherwise, your boss is going to come down on you, which he did. I mean, that was one of the motivations why I left. It just never made sense to me. But what you've brought has been an affirmation of things that I've felt. But not only has it been an affirmation, it's now 
literally, I don't know another way to put it, but it's we've concretized it in terms of how we operate. And so there are trade-offs. You cannot easily accomplish what you're talking about as a bigger firm, because at some point you get lost in administrative stuff. I mean, there's a real balance here. And so that's what I've really appreciated. You know, I've shared with you before, and for anybody who's listening, particularly our clients, I mean, I knew I needed a backup plan. I mean, as a planner, you're always poking holes in finding the pothole or the weak point in any type of a situation. And so when you run a business, of course, what happens if something happens to you? I mean, I've had clients ask us that. More so as I'm getting older, you know, it comes up more free. What happens to you? And I realized I needed an answer to that question. And so I went through a process of bringing other people in. But my benchmark was pretty darn low in terms of my expectations, which was simply somebody who I felt could competently service a client if my demise came unexpectedly or I couldn't work for some other reason. And it really wasn't until just this year or maybe I shouldn't say that, maybe a few years ago, I realized, you know, it'd be nice to have somebody to collaborate with. It'd be nice to have somebody to actually run a practice with. It'd be nice to have somebody who has a different view of things that can add, as you said, too. And it wasn't until it became clear to me that that person was you, where those expectations not only were met, they'd been exceeded. Really, and I'm really grateful for that because we align in the things we need to, but we differ in the areas that are important as well. And that's just a rare combination. And so when you can have a trust and a respect, it's enhanced the business. I mean, you talk about learning things yourself. I have too. It hasn't been easy to bring somebody in into trust, <laughs> yet it's rewarding. And as you said, I think we're blessed with clients who see that. And it's as you build something and the results, God just takes care of itself. So traditionally give the, my guests the final word. I do want to say, I think this is a good point to let people know. I alluded to it in a couple of episodes ago that there'd be some changes to the platform. And so if you enjoy listening to Amy, she'll be joining me as a co-host on the podcast here in the not too distant future, as well as we'll be doing some of our own interviews as we go forward without thinking finance. So we continue to evolve and progress. But yeah, Amy, you've had an awesome journey. I mean, it's a cool life and I listen to it as a person from my side and just think you've accomplished a lot and learned a lot of the important lessons in life that I think we all hope to get to however we get there. Just any final thoughts you'd like to share related to your journey, what you're doing now and where you want to go? That's well said. Thank you. <laughs> that was a lot of wisdom. No, the final thought is that I guess what I've learned in my 37 years of existence is if I'm always seeking the truth and being honest with myself, things will work out. And they have things I didn't think I would get through, health issues, family members passing away, certain enlightenments and revelations in my life. If I'm just honest with where I am and who I am, I'm okay. I think that's the best thing to be. I think being transparent and vulnerable in that way has brought me many opportunities that would not have been there if I was pushing it down or just not being upfront with others and myself about who I am and what brings me joy. I talked about that credo when I discovered that credo, I made partner shortly after. I genuinely believe that opportunity presented itself because I was finally in a place to accept and I wasn't so guarded about it. 
I think that would be my personal greatest strength would be my transparency. But becoming partner and we're such a unique partnership. I mean, we're 20 years apart and we're just different. But I love that we're kind of leading the way in that way and seeing that it's fruitful, that it's producing good things. I'm just excited. I'm excited for our business and for my personal life. So no, that's great. This is a first on the podcast. I always start with a quote, but I want to just end with one that I think fits. And this is from this philosopher, Alan Watts. He says, the only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it, and join the dance. Amy, thank you so much for being a guest today on Upthinking Finance. Thank you for being my partner, my friend, and thank you for being a future co-host as well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Emerson Fersh is a registered representative with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisor services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from Capital Investment Advisors. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. The guest speakers and the companies they represent are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial or Capital Investment Advisors. Individual tax and legal matters should be discussed with your tax or legal expert. Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal.